On Sunday mornings, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are looking at uh, some of the teaching that Jesus gives that is, in essence, some of the inaugural teaching of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's a brief phrase in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus begins his ministry that says uh, that he uh, began to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're not told exactly in that passage what that teaching is. But as you keep reading in Matthew, there are five major speeches that Jesus gives, each of which center around the idea of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, whether it is the parables that often start with the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he'll, he'll give a parable. Or uh, when he tells his disciples in Matthew 10 to go out and to preach the kingdom of heaven, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, you go through and you see uh, Jesus gives a lot of teaching on the kingdom of heaven. But the foundational teaching, the first major speech he gives, and the one that I think you're supposed to carry with you throughout the entire book of Matthew. And it's the teaching that makes sense of why Jesus goes to the cross for his enemies is the Sermon on the Mount, which tells him to love, which tells us to, to love our enemies. Uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we're getting what the ethics and the teaching of the kingdom of heaven are. And it's a foundational teaching. And it ends with this idea that those who hear the word that Jesus spoke and do it, who actually practice it and live that way, they're like a wise man that builds his house on a solid foundation who can withstand the storms and the troubles of this life. Jesus is saying wisdom comes not from hearing, learning, or memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, but actually doing it. That's how you gain, that's how you become a wise man who can withstand the troubles of the day. And so, we have uh, started the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at the Beatitudes this morning, which are uh, in the first couple of verses of it, where Jesus begins with the series of blessings. But this morning, as we were going through those, I mentioned that one of those doesn't really originate with Jesus. Uh, he turns it into a Beatitude, but he actually quotes from the Old Testament uh, to do it. It's when Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, or blessed are the gentle, or blessed are the humble. It's translated a couple of ways, but it says, for they will inherit the earth. That is actually an idea that comes from Psalm 37. And I mentioned this morning that a reading through Psalm 37 gives a beautiful picture of what the meek that God is talking about really look like? What does it look like to be meek? And what does it look like to be the humble? Uh, and what does it look like to be the one who inherits the earth? And so what I thought we could do tonight is to look through Psalm 37 and uh, read through it, try to make some points, and, uh, and hopefully uh, become better acquainted with this psalm and see how there are quite a few ways that this psalm not only is a foundation for what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount uh, about blessed are the meek, but really quite a few of his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are consistent with the ideas of this psalm. This psalm contrasts two different kinds of people. Uh, you'll notice it as you go throughout it, but one is the righteous person and the other is the wicked person. And there's quite a few synonyms used throughout the psalm for these two different people. The, the wicked person is also called the, um, the, uh, the evildoer and the wrongdoer. And uh, wicked, a whole bunch, is the most uh, common one. An enemy. There, there's a bunch of words like that that's used. Whereas the righteous person is referred to as humble or meek. Is referred to as blameless. Uh, is referred to as a godly one. Uh, there's quite a few words for them. But... He's in essence contrasting two paths of life. 
that people take. And one of those, I suppose, if we're remembering the Sermon on the Mount, you can liken to the broad path. It's the big path, and it's the one that most people are going to be on, and it's the one that leads to destruction. Throughout Psalm 37, it's very clear that uh, this psalm is discussing not only the manner in which some people live, but the destination to which they are headed. And the wicked evildoer is the one who is headed towards destruction, the one who's headed towards being cut off from the land. Whereas it's the meek, it's the humble, it's the righteous who is headed towards uh, inheriting the land. And that becomes a, a common idea throughout the psalm. And so just like the Sermon on the Mount towards the end of it begins dividing into categories and into groups, those on the, the broad road and the easy road and those on the difficult one with the narrow gate, and just like it describes uh, two different groups who face judgment. Uh, those who say, uh, who, who God says um, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but he who does the will of the Father, those ones are welcomed in. But then there's that other group that says, but, but we did all kinds of things in your name, and we cast out demons, and we prophesied, and, and we did wonderful works in your name. And he says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, or you who are evildoers. Uh, you have right there this, another idea of separation. And then the final analogy Jesus gives is of two different kinds of builders, the wise builder and the foolish builder. It's like at the end of the sermon, you get the picture of what it looks like for those who actually obey the words that he says, and those who might hear them, who might give lip service to them, who might even do some religious and spiritual things, but they end up rejecting the difficult teachings of Jesus in their lives, and they are not welcome into the kingdom. Uh, Psalm 37 is doing that same type of separation, that same type of contrast. One of the difficulties that the Psalms deal with a lot, the book of Proverbs does, you see it actually quite a bit throughout the Bible, and it's one that I think we can relate to, is when you see those evildoers or those wicked folk or just the people who don't obey God. You, know, you can, you can you know, see them however you want to. And you look at that broad, easy road, and it sure looks like, it sure looks like they have the success. It sure looks like everything goes their way. And here, the difficult road, I mean, we should know that since it's the difficult road, but the difficult road is difficult, and it doesn't always lead to... to, uh, to to success as the world sees it. And you look, and sometimes the difficult road people can get jealous of the broad road people. The, the people trying to do the difficult thing and live right, and the people who practice self-denial, and, and they try to obey God, and then they end up suffering for it. The people who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, the people who try to be peacemakers but end up making enemies on both sides, the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they, they recognize its value, but they also recognize its absence in a lot of ways, and they long for it. Those people who deal with those struggles often are dealing with things that people on this road just don't care that much about. And they're able to live peaceable lives in many ways, and they're able to do what they want to do. I mean, just, just imagine uh, Paul in Philippians, or sorry, in, uh, in Philippi in Acts 16, when he's there to preach the gospel, he's there to do the will of God, he's there to do what is right, and he ends up being beaten mercilessly and thrown into a prison. And yet while he's there... I would imagine you could, you, could, you could see how 
he would be thinking, well, what about the evildoer who's worshiping an idol, who is neglecting his family, who cheats people in his, his workplace, and uh, who doesn't love his enemies and all of that? And he's just living his life with no problems and not a care in the world. And here I am trying to live the teachings of Jesus and trying to bring others into the kingdom, and I am in pain, and I have been rejected, and I sit here in a prison. You would imagine bitterness could be welling up within him, fantastically it's not. Uh, That's incredible that he's actually in there singing and praying to God at midnight, and then he converts the jailer. He Even even the man who is uh, in charge of keeping him in prison, he's going to bring the very message that landed him in prison to that person. But all of this is the same. There's, There's so many passages in the Bible, and even throughout our lives, you see this contrast. And it's easy for people who want to do the right thing to end up perhaps being jealous or bitter towards the success of those who are doing the wrong thing. In Psalm 37 and verse 1 begins, Do not fret because of evildoers, and be not envious towards wrongdoers. Don't fret about it. Don't be jealous. Don't be envious. You know, I think that's, that's um, it's such a simple command, uh, you know, uh, imperative to start this. But it's an important one. Don't get so worked up when you see people who live the wrong way being successful. Remember in the Beatitudes that we talked about, uh, the first and the last, they both have a a current present blessing. They say yours is the kingdom of heaven. But all the ones in the middle, they focus on a future blessing. A blessing for that final day. You will be comforted. You will be called sons of God. You will inherit the earth. And there are these future blessings that Jesus promises. Psalm 37 is going to encourage us, don't fret because of how things look right now in the present. Sometimes those who are doing the right thing in the present suffer. Sometimes those who are living for the kingdom suffer. Sometimes those who try to be obedient to God suffer. And that's where that bitterness, that's where the fretting, that's where the envy comes from. But Psalm 37 is going to focus more on that latter day. On that day when, those, uh, when justice is meted out by the divine and holy God who is a God of justice. And who cares about right and, who, and wrong. And, and he will make things right. We're not told in Psalm 37 how that will happen. We're not told when that will happen. We're not told whether it will happen in this life or in the judgment at the end of time. And Maybe sometimes it happens both ways. Maybe sometimes it only happens one way and it's hard to, to ever see it. But we are given the assurance that it will happen. And so don't fret about that. If you're mistreated, God will elevate you. If you are uh, someone who is uh, suffering now, God will make that right. And so trust in him and don't fret. And don't be envious and don't worry. Instead, instead of spending your time focusing your energy and your efforts on the wrongdoers who are on that easy path, instead focus and think more about God. Because if you'll expend your energy on him, it will lead to a much better place. Uh, and that's, that's actually what he does. Uh, so the first two verses, he says, don't fret, don't be envious about evildoers and wrongdoers. Because, verse 2, they will wither quickly like the grass. And fade like the green herb. You know, sometimes grass looks really good. Sometimes grass, you know, we even have the expression, the grass is greener on the other side. But grass actually doesn't live that long. 
Uh, grass doesn't, uh, it doesn't stay green and beautiful all the time. Uh, grass eventually withers. And that's what he's saying. If you focus on right now and you can see how green they are, they're the grass, and you think, oh man, I wish I was like that, and I wish things were better, and why wouldn't God make us better and greener like that? But he's saying, the day will come when that green grass, it will wither. Because there's nothing of eternal value in wrongdoing. There's nothing that you can grab onto that will, that will last age after age in wrongdoing. It's fleeting and it's foolishness and it will not stand. But rather there are some things that do last. There are some things that make the grass green forever. When you get to verse 3, he gives us a list of what you ought to do that will make the grass green forever. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Don't spend all your time focused on the evildoers. Trust in the Lord and do good. And that's how you're going to end up uh, building a foundation that will endure and that will last. He says in verse 3, the next line, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. You know, he says dwell in the land and cultivate. You would expect the next word to be something like a garden or the, the, the trees or something like that. That's gardening language. But instead he says dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Work on that. That phrase right there, dwell in the land, introduces an idea that will be repeated uh, throughout the remainder of this psalm. That word land right there, that's the word that Jesus uses when he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Well, in both Greek and in Hebrew, you can translate the word for land or earth. Uh, it's the same word in Hebrew. And, and so you just kind of look on context depending on how you want to translate that. Uh, but when it uses the word land right here, he's saying dwell in the land. I'm, I'm assuming the idea is the land that God has given you. Uh, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. But if you look at who it is who inherits the land and who lives in the land, who can dwell in the land, look at verse 9. He says, for evildoers will be cut off presumably cut off from the land, but those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. And so when he says dwell in the land, he's talking about those who will inherit the land. And notice how often that phrase inherit the land is going to be repeated. Verse 9, it is those who wait for the Lord who will inherit the land. They don't go out and try to destroy the evildoers. They don't go out in bitterness and try to try to fix everything on their own. Rather, They wait for the Lord to set things right. And those who will meekly, humbly wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. When you get to verse 11, this is the actual passage that Jesus uh, cites where it says, But the meek or the humble or the gentle will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Notice that phrase, the repetition, they will inherit the land. And this is, that's the actual phrase Jesus quotes in the Sermon on the Mount. If you look at um, verse 18, It says, the Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. Uh, The idea of their inheritance or uh, what they will will receive, it will be forever. If you look at verse 22, for those blessed by him will inherit the land. There's that phrase again that Jesus uses. And those cursed by him will be cut off. That's, That's inherit versus cut off. It pops up again right there. You'll inherit the land or you'll be cut off from it. Uh, those who are blessed by God will inherit the land. By the way, remember how Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount. 
blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. Well, here in Psalm 37, the ones who are the blessed, they're the ones who who inherit the land. So blessed are the humble or blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. All of those words are coming right from the psalm. Uh, When you look down at verse 28 and 29, it says, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. That's your phrase, cut off again for the wicked. But then notice verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land. So a contrast between the wicked being cut off and the righteous inheriting the land. What I'm saying is that pops up all the way through uh, this psalm. You can see in verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his ways. Remember, we already saw in verse 9, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. In verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his ways, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. So again, inheriting the land versus being cut off. You have those who wait for the Lord versus those who are wicked. But all the way through here, you see that contrast. And it's the same one that I think Jesus is is talking about as he gets towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And you have the two different roads. And you have the wise builder versus the foolish builder. Those who do the will of God versus those who refuse to do the word of God. Uh, You have that contrast right there. So what ought we to do? Well, trust in God and wait for him. Because that's, that's how God will ensure life and, uh, and uh, posterity in the land that he is giving. Uh, now, the land, I think in Psalm 37, is probably talking about the land that is promised in Israel. I think Jesus, as he talks about inheriting the land, is probably talking more about uh, the, the eschatological, uh, you know, new heavens and new earth, uh, you will inherit the earth. You will inherit uh, life in earth in the age to come. And so be faithful now and be meek and humble now because in this current world we live in, it's not usually the meek who get the land. Just a, the fact is a lot of times it's the ruthless who get the land. It's the people who have more might and more power and more uh, stronger bows and, and stronger swords and all of that. They're the ones who get the land. But Jesus promises that the day is coming when it's the meek and the gentle and the humble and the lowly who will receive the land. Um, as you keep reading through Psalm 37, look at verse 4. Delight yourselves in the Lord. So again, instead of focusing on the wicked and the evildoers, Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4 says, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5 says, commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And so, you know, instead of being envious and fretting for evildoers, you trust, you delight, you commit your ways to the Lord, and you trust in him again. Uh, You know, all of these things are saying, focus on him and give your all to him. And it'll work out a whole lot better. Uh, If you look at verse 6, you can be sure that God will make things right. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Your righteousness and uh, his judgments, they will become apparent. I think it's one of the ideas of them being as light and as the noonday. But also they are sure. Not only will they be seen, but you can count on it happening because you can count on the noon coming. <laughs> Tomorrow, I bet there's going to be a noon. And then I bet, I bet that'll happen the day after that too. Uh, he says it will be light, but it'll also be something you can count on with certainty happening. So verse 7, 
he continues his list of ways that you are supposed to rely on God instead of yourself. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's the idea of waiting again. That pops up over and over again. You rest in the Lord. You wait patiently. And verse 7 continues. Do not fret because of him who prospers in this way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Again, don't fret. Don't spend your life uh, frustrated and focused on the people who live in wickedness. You know, we can do that. And and I I tell you, people do. We, We do. We watch the news and we fret and we get frustrated and we get mad at people who have different views, who practice immoral, uh, lifestyles, people who engage in evil actions. We see crime, we see all these things and we fret and we get frustrated. And I get that it is frustrating, (laughs) but what good comes from spending all of your time focused on them rather than focused on the goodness of God. If you keep reading, he'll actually talk about some of the dangers that come from, from fretting too much and from focusing too much on them. Um, if you look out verse 8, he says, Cease from anger, forsake wrath. If you spend all your time fretting and focused on the wicked, you're going to get angry. You're probably going to get wrathful. Fretting and being vexed and being frustrated will lead to anger, which will lead to wrath and seeking retribution and, and malice and hating your enemies. And again, these are the, read the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is going to say, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. I say, don't be angry. Uh, you know, the, he's going to go back to these types of ideas throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But it says, cease from anger, cease from wrath. And again, verse 8, it ends with that same phrase, do not fret. It leads to evil doing. So you're frustrated at the evildoers. You're focusing on them. You're mad that, that they're prospering with their wicked. And you watch them. And you get angry at them. And you get wrathful at them. And then all of a sudden you find yourself as an evildoer right, belongs, right alongside them. It says, don't go that direction. Wait on the Lord. Trust on the Lord. Uh, delight in the Lord. Focus on him. And you might not be able to take control of the situation on your own. Maybe you'll be meek. Maybe you'll be gentle. You might even suffer at times because of it. But wait on the Lord. He is the one who will make things right. When you look at verse 9 and following, he then begins to discuss what, um, what the destiny of the wicked versus the, uh, the humble or the meek or the righteous person is going to be. So up to this point, he's been telling you who to focus on. Don't focus on them focus on God. And don't get jealous of them. They might look like green grass now, but the grass won't last. So focus on something that will last. Now he's going to describe what not lasting is going to look like, what the grass being cut off or the grass withering is going to look like. Verse 9, he says, for the evildoer will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. It says wickedness won't last and it won't win the day. At the end, when you're looking at what stands forever before God, it's not the path of the wicked. That's the one that's not going to last. And you might look for it and you won't find it anywhere. Uh, it'll be, that'll be, that'd be a pleasant thing, right? When you turn on the news... <laughs> In, in the age to come, and every news story is about something good. You're like, where's the bad stuff? It's not even, you can't even find it anywhere. You know, I'm looking for it, and it's not here. I don't know if you'll actually be looking for it, but that's, 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 that's the imagery that he's using here. It's like, even if you're searching for wickedness, you won't be able to find it. In verse 11, 
because the humble will inherit the land. So if the land is inherited and owned and lived in by the humble and the righteous, then looking throughout the land, you're not going to find the wickedness. And so don't get frustrated because of now. Wait on the Lord and trust in him. He'll make things right. Verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous. All right, so that's one of the difficulties like the persecution that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a reality that sometimes people who do try to live righteously, they can get frustrated and they can fret and they can be bothered by the wicked. And we're told not to do that. But the wicked often watch the righteous and they get frustrated by them and they get angry at them. And they might not have God telling them, uh, or maybe they do, they just don't listen, to, to not act upon that. And so if you have the righteous people who are told not to get angry and wrathful towards the wicked, and you have the wicked people who are now wanting to be angry and wrathful towards the righteous, guess what? They probably will. They're probably going to do it. That's the, that's the path they've chosen. And so, verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes, gnashes their teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. Wait on the Lord. <laughs> the Lord will right these wrongs. The Lord sees all the strength that the wicked think they have, and it brings a chuckle. Because none of them can stand before God. And you know what's going to happen to them? How is it that uh, Persia, in Babylon, in Greece, in Assyria, in Egypt, in Rome, and these nations, how is it that they get their land? It's with their sword and with their bow and with their mighty military, right? Well, when the wicked start rising up against the righteous, this is the great picture that uh, is presented. He says in verse 14, The wicked have drawn the sword and bent the bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter through their own heart, and their bow will be broken. Their gun's going to backfire. They think they're going to be able to take it out on on the righteous, but instead they're the ones who are sealing their own fate. They're the ones who are destroying themselves. When the persecutors persecute the persecuted, uh, God, I'll... persecuted, persecute, persecuted. Anyway, um, when they're doing that, they are actually setting themselves up for failure before God. And they're drawing farther and farther from him. And they are, in essence, signing their own doom. Uh, And so he draws the picture here of them thinking they're big and strong and they're bending the bow and they're drawing the sword and they think they're going to be victorious. And yet it all backfires and they're the ones who come falling down. Verse 16 Better is the little of the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. Um, Even if you have very little, but you're righteous, that's a better place to be than to have everything that this world offers and to reject God because he's the one who gives the ultimate significance. Verse uh, 17 and following uh, continues the, the picture of the destiny of the righteous and the wicked. He says, For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their uh, inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil and in the days of famine. They will have abundance, but the wicked will perish. And the enemies of the Lord will be like the glories of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. 
So notice again, he uses that, the language. So much of this, uh, so much of this psalm is about the land. And even the illustrations of them being like grass. You know, grass grows on the land. And he says they look like green grass now, but the grass isn't going to endure. Here he says that they look like uh, the glory of the pastures, which is a reference to like the flowers, beautiful flowers in the pastures. And you see them, and you see the wicked, and they look glorious, and they look beautiful. And the psalm says that's, that's what they are. They're the glories of the pasture. But what do you know about the glories of the pasture? They vanish. It's like smoke. It vanishes away. It doesn't last. It doesn't last forever. And so don't get frustrated at the now. Trust in the Lord now. Wait on the Lord now. And in the end, he will make those things right. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. So go back to the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you look at Jesus' teaching on generosity there. Uh, So much of this psalm you can connect to specific teachings Jesus gives. Verse 22, "For uh, for those blessed by him will inherit the land. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with a list of blessings, even mentioning the ones that will inherit the land. But those cursed by him will be cut off. In verse 23, he begins to list some of what uh, the blessings of being a child of God look like. He says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. So the person who's walking with God, even when he falls, he doesn't fall head first into death. The Lord is there holding his hand. Uh, verse 25 I have been young, and now I am old. So now we're getting a personal reflection of, the, uh, of David, uh, who, who's written the psalm. And he's, he's an older man now. He says, I've been young, now I'm old. And let me tell you some things that I've seen. This, is, this psalm fits very much in with the wisdom literature. It shares a lot of the same vocabulary and a lot of the same teachings as like the book of Proverbs, especially. Especially some of the phrases like, trust in the Lord and he will bless you. And like that's all very much from Proverbs. Uh, but right here, he says, Just like uh, in Ecclesiastes or in Proverbs, you see a lot of the wisdom and a lot of the teaching is given based on the observations of the one who's giving it. He starts using that language here and says, you know, "I've, I've been young and now I'm old and I have not yet seen the righteous forsaken or the descendants begging for bread. So right here, if you're going back to the Sermon on the Mount, remember Matthew 6.33, where Jesus, after saying, don't be so concerned about wealth and riches and what you will wear and what you will eat. Look at, uh, look at the birds. Doesn't God feed them? Look at the lilies. Doesn't God clothe them? And he uses the field and pasture language to describe how much uh, God has blessed his creation and that he'll bless you also. Instead, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness— And those things will be added to you. He's making a very similar statement that what you're seeing right here. Whereas the one who is righteous, in verse 25, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or the descendants begging for bread. That's the same teaching that Jesus is giving in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But then verse 26, all day long. He is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. So the righteous person is cared for, and the righteous person uses that care that God has given to share with others and is generous all day long. So what should we do? Verse 27, depart from evil and do good. He gets back to giving some imperatives here. Depart from evil and do good, and you will abide forever. Abide where? 
I, I think it's probably the same thing he's been talking about, abide in the land. Uh, what happens when Israel sins and turns wicked and they end up getting kicked out of the land? What happens when they listen to what God says? They abide. Uh, so this is a similar thing to like verse 3. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Or that repeated phrase, they will inherit the land. Well, here he's saying uh, that you will abide in the land. Um, In uh, verse 28, for the Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. That's our word dwell again, going back to verse 3, dwell in the land. Here, you'll inherit the land, you'll dwell in it forever. It's very easy to read that, especially when it starts adding words like forever and start thinking about our forever home, you know, the the age to come and the, the, the new heavens and the new earth. Well, verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. And his tongue speaks justice. Well, that's going to sound a lot like Proverbs. Uh, talking, combining righteousness, justice, and wisdom uh, in, in the mouth of one person. Verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. However, the wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. So that is getting back to that idea in verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Well, verse 32 says the wicked spies on the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him on his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. God will care. And no matter what things may look like sometimes, you may look at the field and the grass is green. You may look and you may see the flowers in the field. It may look like the wicked are having their wonderful day and everything is going right and they have all the power. Wait on the Lord because ultimately his godly ones, his righteous ones, his children will have the final victory. God will give it to them. He won't let them be judged in that final day. So verse 34, so this is what he says. Wait on the Lord and keep his ways. That, that idea is, you notice how it's being repeated. It's not going to come right now. And it might not always look like it right now. In Matthew, Jesus eventually gives some parables about the kingdom. And one of them that he gives, and I think is so important to keep in our heads, is the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. Because what the field, the field looks like a mess. Like, if you look at the field where they're all growing up together, it's really hard to tell what's healthy and what isn't healthy. And some people want to go out there right now and start cutting out all the weeds. And and what they're told is, if you do that, you're going to cut the wheat down with them. It's best to wait and to see what God does in the, day to, in the age to come. It's best to wait on the Lord. And, and so just like that field can look like a mess, sometimes our world's going to look like a mess. Sometimes even in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to look like a mess. And it's like, I think I see a little kingdom of heaven there, but it looks kind of not like it there. And I think I see a little bit of it there. And, and the world's going to look like that. And the church will probably look like that. And obviously we want better than that, but the reality is, That's what it's going to look like a lot. And what do you do? Do you spend your whole time frustrated and fretting and angry at all the wicked? Well, maybe just wait on the Lord. Maybe honor him, obey him, do your best, live faithfully, love others, and wait and see what God does. Verse 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. And you might not see it now but you'll see it in the age to come. So verse 35, 
I've seen a wicked, violent man. He, he goes back to his personal observations here. Just like he saw, you know, he said, you know, I was young, now I'm old, and I'll tell you something I've never seen. I haven't seen the righteous begging for bread. Well, here he says, I've seen a wicked, violent man spreading himself like a luxuriant tree on its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Remember uh, verse 10. He says, yet a little while the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. He says, that's going to happen. You think, oh, the wicked have it so much better. You know what? They meet their, their end just like the righteous do. They don't have their day forever. Uh, there was a wicked man I knew. I don't see him anymore. Uh, he met his end. And so verse 37, instead, mark the blameless and behold the upright. For the man of peace will have posterity. Don't spend your whole time looking at the wicked. Trust in God. Look to him. Delight in him. Wait on him. But also look at the righteous people. You know, don't always look at the problem. Look at some of those who are going there to help with it. Don't always look at those who are causing the wickedness. Look at some of those who are helping the people suffering. You'll find them. There's always helpers. Uh, I, think, I think it's Mr. Rogers. I don't want to try the quote because I'll butcher it. But it's something like that. Like, when there's a problem going on, look to the helpers. Look to the people who are running there to try to save and the people who are trying to, to help. Uh, you'll generally be able to find them. And that's a much better place to look than always fretting and furious about the wicked. So verse 28, or sorry, 38. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So you notice all the way through that psalm, two different kinds of people. The righteous and the wicked are being contrasted right now. The wicked may look like the glories of the pastor. They may look like the green grass. They may look like they have their nice houses and everything's going their way. But a day will come when you won't even be able to find the house of the wicked anymore. That green grass will wither. That uh, the glories of the field will vanish just like smoke. And what will last are those who have taken refuge in the Lord. He will save. He will judge. He will make things right. So... Again, this psalm doesn't say what day that will be exactly. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard to say uh, exactly how or when, but it is calling us to trust that it will happen. I don't know when it will happen. I don't know how it will happen, but it will happen. And that's a way in which we exercise and demonstrate trust in God. When we say, even if I don't see the blessings and the benefits of it right now, even if the wicked seem like they're prospering, even if I might suffer because of this and be persecuted, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are uh, the merciful. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are gentle or meek. Blessed are uh, those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You go through and all of those descriptions, I think, match not so much what's said about the wicked or the evildoers or the wrongdoers, but the righteous and the humble that we've seen throughout this psalm. Those who are in that category are the ones who are blessed, 
are the ones that the kingdom of heaven is for and are the ones who will have ultimate victory through the God who gives victory. So let's trust in him and wait for him, and uh, hopefully that can help us through some of the difficulties of this life that we face. If there's anyone here tonight who may be looking at your life, there are sins that you would like uh, the help and prayers of the church, or if anyone would like to become a Christian tonight, we pray that you would let that be known, that you would come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.